The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So last week we started a series called Vocatio. Uh, vocatio is Latin for calling. And so in this series what we're, we're exploring is we're saying, what does it look like to respond to God's calling in the different spheres of your life? What does it look like to respond to God's calling in the different spheres of your life? And so last week we looked sort of generally what does it look like to be called? And we said that to be called is to receive the gracious, radical, and unique role that God has for you in his mission. The gracious, radical, and unique role that God has for you in his mission. And so what we're doing, so that's kind of our baseline. And what we're doing for the next few weeks is we're exploring some specific areas where that lines up. And so today we're going to be looking at work, at work, and, uh, and your, your day-to-day grind. Where's God in the midst of that? And uh, can I just, I want to do a, a caveat before we go into that though. So for the next few weeks, we will be talking about sort of specific things. So like work, and then it'll be parenting next week on Mother's Day. Uh, we're going to have Bonnie Hahn here. She works with a program called Parents as Teachers. She's a super genius. So that'll be great to have her share with us. And, and we'll be looking at these different things. And some of you may be like, well, that doesn't really apply to me because I'm not a parent. Or we'll do one on, on a spouse, but like, well, I'm not married or whatever it is. And I just want to remind us like, hey, we're a community, right? And so sometimes uh, there's going to be a message that rings true for this group of people and, and sometimes there's going to be a message that rings true for this group of people and so I want us to just say hey maybe this message today isn't for me but it is for Jim Bob over here right it's a good Texas name okay so so I want us to, to just be aware of that and so especially today um, I'll just say like I, I know we are blessed at this church we have um, a lot of a, a fair number of, of stay-at-home parents and I'm not specifically going to address that as a realm of, of work today though of course it is work, and, and we are so thankful for, for that work. Um, but this is going to be more on like the 9 to 5 daily grind. Cool? We good enough? Caveat over. Excellent. Okay, so, so what does it mean to, to follow Jesus 9 to 5 or uh, really probably more like 8 to 6 nowadays? I think the, the 40-hour work week is tragically a myth these days. Uh, and so, so what does that look like? Well, we're going to ask two questions about that. The first one is, why does your work matter to God? And the second one is, why does God matter to your work? Why does your work matter to God, and why does God matter to your work? And so let's begin with the first question, why does uh, your work matter to God? And the best place for us to begin is in the beginning. Um, And so in the beginning, right, in the beginning of the Bible, we know the story that God, he creates the heavens and the earth. And we say that God creates heavens and the earth, he creates it ex nihilo, which is out of nothing, right? And so God, we see from the get-go, is a working God. He does stuff, he makes stuff happen. And we see throughout the the creation story that the the apex, the pinnacle of it, is when God makes humanity. He makes people, and that's where where it peaks. That's where it's this beautiful thing. And so we get to our text today, uh, starting at verse 26, and we see God give some specific instructions. Look with me at verses 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so we see that that people, that humanity is is the, the apex of God's creation. It's the pinnacle of God's creation because we're made in his image. That every single person, regardless of who you are or what you do or what you believe or whatever, you have inherent worth, you have inherent value because you're made in the image of God. You, you reflect the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But we see a specific way that we reflect God is actually in our work. 
is in our work. The text I just read says that God makes people for a purpose. Essentially, God says, hey, let's make people for the purpose of ruling over all the earth, of ruling over our good creation. And so right off the bat, God gives humanity a purpose. He gives us a job to do. And then as we continue through the creation story, we get to chapter 2 of Genesis. And in chapter 2 of Genesis, uh, God pulls Adam aside and he gives him what we call in theological circles the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. And Genesis 2.15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And so God takes Adam aside. He says, hey, listen, this is uh, the the earth I've given you. You've got to take care of it. You've got to work it. And the Hebrew word there for work is avad, right? And avad means to work, but it has this, this connotation of to till and to cultivate. And so God says, hey, listen, I'm the God who works. I created everything out of nothing, and, and I'm giving it to you, and now I want you to work it. I want you to, to make something with it. Take what I've made and do something with it. Produce something. That's what he gives him to do. And I bring all this up to point something out. We're created to work. We're created to work. We're made to do work. This is pre-fall. This is part of God's original design. He made the world and he wants us to do something. We're supposed to be cultivators of the creation that that God has placed us in. And so work is a part of God's good creation. Now I realize, as soon as I say that, some folks might be like, "Uh, it's part of God's good creation. Like, do you know my boss, right? Like, Like, have you met that guy? Or like, if you're the boss, like, do you know my employees, right? And we, I know we have a lot of teachers here. Like, do you know what it's like to teach kids day in and day out and how exhausting that is, right? Or people who, who you know, you, maybe you work with your hands. Like, do you know how my body feels after a day of work? Or perhaps for many of us, do you know I just constantly feel under stress because of my work? I can't sleep at night because of my work. And you're telling me it's part of God's good creation? It is. It is. But all the difficulties and the struggles and the strains we experience in our day-to-day work are a result of the fall. That when mankind fell away from God, we see in Genesis 3 that that the ground is cursed, that there's going to be thorns and thistles, that things aren't always going to work the way they're supposed to. Listen to Genesis 3, 17 through 19. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. And so as a result of the fall, that the ground, okay, and so the ground speaks for for any work that we do, uh, is cursed. That work is going to be hard, that there's going to be bad days, that there's going to be times when businesses fail and coworkers are difficult to get along with and bosses are bad leaders. Like, it's going to happen because of the fall. But at the same time, there's thorns and thistles, and at the same time, it's good. And we're still made to work. And so it's this delicate tension that we live in where we recognize there's something to this that's good and at the same time there's thorns and thistles and so this whole work thing can be difficult and painful. But regardless of this this tension, the reality is God is in your work. God is in your work. That the day-to-day work that you do, God uses it to rule over his creation. God uses it to rule over his creation. Here's what I mean. Uh, We pray this prayer every Sunday, uh, and many Christians around the world pray it. It's called the Lord's Prayer. We've heard of it. Yes, okay. Um, And and in this prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. We ask God to give us this day our daily bread. Now, what we do when we do that is we're actually asking God to provide for our actual needs. We're asking God to provide for our actual needs. So let's just do a quick poll. In the last 24 hours, who here has eaten? 
How are we doing? All right, God is batting a thousand, okay? So, so he has taken care of our actual needs. He's, in fact, given you this day your daily bread. How's he done it, though? He's done it through the work of farmers and millers and truck drivers and factory workers and bankers and warehouse attendants and stock boys and cashiers and whoever cooked breakfast at your house this morning. That's how God provided for you. See, God, God can feed people however he wants, right? He can take care of us however he wants. We see this throughout the Bible that when the, Israelite, when the Israelites are wandering in the desert, God gives them manna miraculously, it just shows up. When Jesus is, is preaching and people are hungry, he just breaks up some loaves of bread, feeds 5,000 people, no problem. So God can feed however he wants, yet he chooses to use people to do it. He chooses to use people to care for others. Now, why does he do that? Why does he use people to care for others? I think it works like this. Uh, so when I was a little kid, uh, my brother and my dad and myself, we'd go, we'd go camping, right? And we'd go out in the woods and have a good time, and, and we'd set up a fire. One of the first things we'd do is set up a fire, and my dad would pull my brother and I aside, and he'd say, okay, boys, now you guys are in charge of the fire. It's very important you take care of the fire. We've got to keep it going. We want to stay warm. We want to be able to cook our food. So you guys be sure to get the firewood that you need. And you just take care of the fire. There's a big responsibility. Okay? I trust you. Now, did my dad really need us to keep the fire going? No. Right? He doesn't need us to do that. But he had us do that. Why? Because he wants us to feel involved. He wanted us to feel included. He wanted us to feel like we were contributing to something. The uh, 16th century theologian and my good friend Martin Luther uh, said this. He said, what else then is all of our work to God? Whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, or in government, but such child's performances by which he wants to give us his gifts. Therefore, our work, these are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. And so, according to Luther, your work is a mask of God. It's a mask of God. So, so on the outside, you, you may look like a teacher or a nurse or an entrepreneur or an engineer or an accountant or an artist or a software developer or a barista at a coffee shop. But what God is doing through you is taking care of his creation. God is genuinely at work in what you do. Uh, in his book, God at Work, uh, Gene Beeth writes this. He said, God works through people in their ordinary stations of life to which he has called them to care for his creation. In this way, he cares for everyone, Christian and non-Christian, whom he has given life. And so this is why your work matters to God. Right? Because by it, you take care of his creation. You are the means through which God provides for others. And so God is in your work. And so that should shape how you view Monday through Friday, right? Like God, God can heal miraculously. Sure, we know he can heal miraculously. But usually he does that through the work of doctors and nurses. Right? And God, he could give us divine revelation to anything he wants. But usually he teaches us about his world through the work of teachers. And God builds through architects and he builds through engineers and construction workers and, and he upholds justice and protects the vulnerable through the work of police officers and other public services and, and he develops new technology and software through really big nerds and, and he provides new jobs and work for people in need through those who are, are risky enough to start their own businesses and be entrepreneurs. See, you're a mask of God in your work. It's how God takes care of his world, whatever it is that you do. 
This is why your work matters to God, because he uses you to take care of and further his creation. Now, there's those of you smarty pants out there that are saying, okay, that's all well and good, Gabe, very nice. Uh, but, like, how does me being a Christian actually matter in my work? Right? Like, how does that make a difference? And that's a good question, right? Because it sort of seems like maybe it wouldn't. Like, if I go to HEB and check out and my cashier is an atheist or a Christian, really doesn't matter. Like, I'm still going to get my bread, right? Still going to get that coming through. And so that's why the second question is so important. Why does God matter to my work? Why does God matter to your work? And we answered the first question, why does your work matter to God, by looking at the story of creation. The way we answer the second question is by looking at the story of new creation, of God's plan to redeem and restore this whole world. And that starts with Easter. See, Jesus is present on Monday morning because he's present on Easter morning. And we're in the Easter season. It's a time where we recognize that Jesus came to his creation, to this world. He came down to redeem it and to reclaim it. And that as Jesus comes down to redeem God's creation, tragically he dies on the cross, right? But of course, Easter says that's not the end of the story. Uh, Three days later, he rose again to new life. And so Easter is the beginning of God's new creation bursting forth right in the midst of the thorns and the thistles of the old one. Right in the midst of the brokenness and the tough days uh, all around us. And so Jesus' resurrection unleashes the new creation. And Jesus' resurrection means that you, his follower, now you take part in his restorative work. Now you take part in his restorative work of new creation. As you serve him daily in your callings, in your various callings. And it may not look like much. But as you serve him through your work in this world, despite the brokenness you see all around, what happens is you become a signpost of the resurrection. Just through your day-to-day work, you show others that God hasn't given up on the world. You say, how do you do that? You do that through an internal reality that has external manifestations. An internal reality that has external manifestations. Listen listen to uh, Ephesians 6, 5 through 7. It says this. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Now, we don't have time to explain how a first century bond servant and a master worked this morning. Um, but just trust me, it's similar to compare it to an employer-employee relationship. And so what we see in this text is that St. Paul is writing letters to Christians and he's saying, hey, do your work well. Work really hard. Do it well. It's important. And why? Why does he say to do your work well? Verse 7. He says, because you're doing it for the Lord. You're not doing it for man. And see, this should make a massive difference in whatever we do. This is an internal reality that will have an external manifestation. Like my, my brother-in-law, he's a, a youth minister at a church, and uh, I, I work as a pastor. Um, and, and so for one Christmas a couple years ago, uh, Melissa, my wife's grandmother, got my brother-in-law and myself this little paperweight to put on our desk jokes on her, I don't have an office, but um, anyways, but, uh, but, but this little paperweight to put on our desk that says, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. It's kind of like an allusion to Jesus, right? And that's cute, that's fine, it's cute, and thank you, Grandma, but, but the reality is, like, that's not just true for people who work in ministry, that's not just true for people who work for the church. Anyone who's a Christian could have that little paperweight on their desk, 
regardless of your profession. Because this text says, no matter what you do, even if you hate your job, Whatever you do, you're not working for your boss. You're not working for you. You're working for the Lord. The Christian is always working for the Lord in whatever they do. And see, this is something I feel like a lot of Christians maybe struggle with, where they say, listen, you know, I'm a Christian, and I love Jesus, and I want to follow him. I'm going to do whatever he's called me to do. But, but I'm not in full-time ministry, and so I'm kind of like a, a second-class citizen. I'm like a B-rate Christian. That's just not true. It's just not true. Well, you know, the only way I could really follow Jesus at work is if I witness to my coworkers, if I respect my boss, and if I, I give money to the church. And don't get me wrong, those are all good things. You should do all good things Christians should do, especially the last one, all right? But that divide between the secular and the sacred is unbiblical. It's just not true. It's not how things work. See, back in, uh, in my boy Martin Luther's day in uh, the medieval church, in order to be truly honoring to God, in order to truly follow Jesus, you had to be part of the clergy, right? You had to be a priest or a nun or a monk or a bishop, whatever. And that was, those were like, that was a top class. But as the Reformation took place 500 years ago, Luther and the other reformers said, listen, this has got to change. This isn't right. This isn't biblical. They said, this secular spiritual divide is just not acceptable. And so uh, he, he wrote this. He said this. There's been a fiction by which bishops, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate, while princes, lords, artisans, and peasants are considered the temporal estate. This is an artful lie and a hypocritical invention. But let no one be made afraid of it. And that for this reason, that all Christians are truly in the spiritual estate, and there is no difference among them. Thus we are all consecrated as priests by baptism. I love that. He says, every Christian is a priest. You're a priest. Who knew that? Aaron, you're a priest. Amazing. Amazing. You're sacred inherently. And what does a priest do? What is a priest? A priest is a bridge between God and the rest of the world. A priest is a bridge between the secular and the sacred. And see, the New Testament affirms this. It says, you are a chosen people. 1 Peter 2.9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You're a royal priesthood. St. Peter says we're a royal priesthood. And what does it mean to be a royal priesthood? It means you're a priest to a king. And we're priests to the king, to Jesus. And so as his priest, we live out the values of his kingdom in our work. As his priest, we live out the values of his kingdom in our work. And we say, well, what are those values? Well, there's a bunch. I read the Gospels, okay? But, um, but the main one I want us to focus on this morning is this idea of service. That Jesus, our king, who we serve, served. Our king was the one who served. In everything that he did, Jesus served. He fed the hungry, and he healed the sick, and he washed the feet of those who would betray him. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus tells us there that even by my death, it's done in service to you. That my death is an act of service to those that I love. And then the amazing thing to me is after his resurrection, Jesus conquers death in the grave. He's the king, he's triumphant, he's running the show. And what does he do in his last few days on earth? He cooks breakfast like twice. Like he feeds people. You look at the end of the Gospel of Luke, the end of the Gospel of John, and he's making food for people. Conquering king of the universe. 
Here's a hot dog. I mean, it's incredible. Incredible. Jesus served. Man, that's our king. That's our king. And we are his priests. And we're his priests who serve wherever we've been called, wherever we've been placed. And so that's why God matters to your work. Because through Christ, God has made you his child, he's made you a priest in his kingdom, and he's made you a servant of all. A servant of all. And so in light of that, your work now is always in love and service to your neighbor. You get to live in love towards other human beings and be an instrument by which God does his work in the world. And uh, that sounds all nice and good, but I recognize that's hard. Like, it's not an easy thing to do, to have that mentality of like, okay, I'm a priest, and I'm here, and I'm sorting papers and doing busy work, but I'm, I'm serving people through this. Like, it's hard to have that in our heads as, as we're working. Um, I remember a few years ago, I was working at a church, and uh, Melissa was uh, leading a small group of ninth grade girls. And at the end of the school year, she invited them over to our apartment at the time and, and had them hang out. And, uh, you know, a group of ninth grade girls coming over to my apartment in the evening, I decided I had to work late that night uh, for obvious reasons. I just talk so much without saying anything, right? And, um, and so, so, uh, and so I, I came home, though, and there was a couple of them still there, and they were leaving, and the one girl asked me, she said, hey, you know, where were you? And I said, oh, you know, I was at work, living the dream, and, and she laughed because it's hilarious. And, um, and she said, man, I bet it really is nice to work at a church. And I was like, well, yeah, I like it. And she's like, yeah, I mean, out there in the world, there's just so many temptations that are pulling at us. And so I bet it's really nice to work at a church where you don't have to deal with any of that, right? I was like, uh, <laughs> have you read the news? Like, I, you know, there's, there's temptations here. But, but it, it gave me pause, right? I don't mean to pick on her because it actually made me think, like, what are my temptations at work? Like, do I really have any? And it hit me that my temptation is the same as anyone else's. My temptation is to be selfish in my work. My temptation is to make my job be all about me. See, our temptation is to look at our work to bring us glory, to serve us. That our jobs become about our money or our status or our power or how people see us or whatever it is, our social standing. And that's what they become about, about us. But see, God's calling in your work says, no, 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 no. No matter what it is, your work isn't about that. It's about service and love to your neighbor. It's about service and love to others. Last Martin Luther quote, I swear. For each one ought to live, speak, act, hear, suffer, and die in love and service for one another. Even for one's enemies. A husband for his wife and children, a wife for her husband, children for their parents, servants for their masters, masters for their servants, rulers for their subjects, and subjects for their rulers. So that one's hand, mouth, eye, foot, heart, and desire is for others. These are Christian works, good in nature. So uh, I have this friend named Erin who I went to college with, and, and she studied social work, and upon graduating, just had to move around a bunch and, and just couldn't find a, a job in the field that she desired. And so she ended up uh, working at Walmart, which is arguably not the most glamorous or desirable job out there, but that's, that's where she was called, that's where she landed. And so she went in every day looking to serve her customers. And she went in every day looking to serve her fellow employees. And you see, she worked third shift and she worked third shift at a Walmart in the city of St. Louis. And so you can imagine that the folks she worked with were, were coming from some rougher backgrounds. They, they had a lot of, of stuff happen to them and, and were not always the easiest for her to work with. But she went in to serve. 
She went in because she saw Jesus as the Lord in the midst of her work, that that was her boss, that was who she was working for. She went in as a priest in service to her king, and so people noticed. And she became this like place at her work where the secular met the sacred. She became this bridge for people, and she's told me story after story of these folks at her work who would come up to her and say, this is going on in my life, this is going on in my life. A lot of times it was, it was women who were in abusive situations, and, and she'd get to be a signpost of the resurrection and get to help them out. She had to be a, a priest for her king in the midst of working third shift at Walmart. Now, would she be serving her king well if all she did was run the checkout line? She would. She'd be serving, helping people get their groceries. That's a good thing to do. That's fine. But because she saw her first call as a child of God, because she saw her first call as a priest in his kingdom, that meant she engaged her work as a servant. And that made all the difference. Now, I don't know what that looks like, where you're at in your calling, but I think it's worth thinking about. You spend a lot of time at work. What does it look like to follow Jesus as a servant where he's placed you? Your work matters to God because through you he takes care of his creation. And God matters to your work because he's made you a priest to offer sacrifices of service wherever he has placed you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we see again and again and again that you are a God who serves. You're a God who gives of himself for the sake of others. We praise you for that. Lord, teach us to be like you. Wherever you've placed us as as folks in the business world, as folks in the medical world, as as folks in education, Lord, wherever we serve, Lord, help us to see us working for you. Help us to do our work well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.